2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 and 5 has been our text for the subject of the enemy within. It's not necessarily a pleasant subject. It's not intended to be. It's not a delightful study. It wasn't intended to be. It's informative. Information that God wants us as Christians to know about who our enemy is because it says that we're in a warfare. It says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural things, but they're mighty things, things heavenly. They come from God, or it says through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. And when this book addresses us, the Bible addresses us, it talks about people who have strongholds in our lives. All of us do. In many and various ways, the devil has found a way to gain entrance or some attachment in our lives. All our growing up years, our living years, and all the choices we make, we made a lot of bad ones before we met the Lord, and we make some bad ones seemingly afterwards. But we made a lot of bad choices, which opened up a lot of doors in our lives to things that hinder us. Sometimes they haunt us. Things that seem to compel us to do things we shouldn't do. Things later on in our life we're embarrassed about and ashamed of. We can't believe we would do certain things when one time in our life or give ourselves into such a thing that we did and yet we did. Because there are things that influenced us. Things that sort of controlled us. We couldn't break from our habits and ways because of the fear of what people might say or losing a friend or something. So we were controlled by these things that ruled us. The Bible speaks here of them being as imaginations, images, and it says we're supposed to cast those things down because the devil gives us thoughts and reasons, even while you're listening to a sermon as to why that's not for you or you're not ready for that or that's over your head or that's too something. It's designed to keep you from accepting your need for that message or what God says and to draw back into a more complacent, ho-hum position. And I think churches have been full of people that have done that because I think churches are full of people who know very little about warfare. Most preachers that I have known in my life, well, not so many in the circles I've been in, but lots of preachers, I'm sure, have been hesitant to talk about the devil and personal warfare out of the fear that some people might get scared or not like that or whatever. And so we leave the subject alone, leave you to your problem, Try to make you happy in church. Try to make you feel good about religion and send you home without any assistance or help in how to deal with things in your life that have lodged themselves in your life. These are called strongholds. And a stronghold, by definition, is a fortress. It's something that's been erected inside of us that keeps God out of our life. Whether they're ideas or opinions or philosophies, we use those things to say, well, we're not ready for that, or I don't think I need that, or whatever. These are strongholds. They control you. They master you. They keep you from being the kind of person that God wants you to be. So it's a war. You came to the Lord with all of this. God saved you knowing you had all these problems in your life. All this dirt is in there. He forgave you of what you did, but you got to deal with the impulse to do it because a devil who controlled you once wants to control you again. So he keeps coming at you. He keeps coming at you. The Bible speaks that the unclean spirit, when it goes out of a man, it seeks rest. And when it can't find rest, because the devil wants to inhabit people or animals, pigs or anything. 
And when he can't find him a place to inhabit, he comes back to the house he went out of. He never leaves you alone. And the sad thing is he comes back and finds that house empty. Nothing replaced. All that demonic activity wasn't replaced with spiritual truth that girds you up and builds you up and makes you strong in the Lord. And he finds the house empty. And the Bible says he goes back in and takes with him seven more spirits worse than him. And the latter end of that person is worse than the beginning. It's a warfare. There's no end of the warfare in this life, the way you're going to fight. Now, we talked about several things so far about dealing with it. Last time we mentioned three things, ways that we deal with the devil, things that God has given us. And all of these come under the definition or the heading of light. We cannot fight any spiritual warfare unless we have light as to who our enemy is. What is he doing? Do I accept this problem in my life as something the devil has inspired? If I don't think the devil is behind it, I won't fight it. I'll never fight something I'm unsure of. So one of the purposes of preaching and teaching and what we're doing this morning is to give you information. Because the first point we mentioned in how to deal with the devil was we deal with him through knowledge. Proverbs 11 and verse 9, it says, By knowledge shall the just be delivered. Through knowledge shall the just be delivered. In other words, as God brings us together, having carried on and messed around and been messed up by the world, he brings messed up people to him. And if you weren't messed up, I was. It wasn't drugs and all of that. It was just a sorry, hypocritical, worldly attitude. And he brings people of all kinds of messed up backgrounds. He brings all of us to him. Every one of us need to be cleansed. All of us. There's no exceptions. All of us have given place to the devil. We've all got dirt in our past. Dirt might be your arid, stinking personality. It might be some kind of oppression or depression that you just fight all the time. It may be drug dependence, but it's a devil, whatever you want to call it. And he brings us to him, and he does what we're doing this morning. God begins to give words, speaking words. If you're hungry and you want to hear it, then the word will come to you like light, and light will identify darkness. And you'll begin to see, you know, I didn't know that. That's light. Take the occult. How many of us realize that we had given place to the devil in the innocence of the occult? Fortune telling, Ouija boards, hypnotist, hypnotism, astrology charts, horoscopes, innocent things that identify Halloween, witches, and goblins and demons and Disney's fairy tale world of fascination creating something that's not real, but entertaining, therefore it's okay. And we accepted all of that because of our blindness. We didn't know any better. Nobody taught us that there's danger in all of this, that that cute little fairy, well, I don't like to use that word anymore, but that cute little whatever that the kids want a little picture of in their room and then all the little Disney stuff and Little demons and goblins and the dwarfs and the Snow White and the Pinocchio nose and Peter Pan and Cinderella. 
it's on and on about fascination, trying to gain your children. We didn't know there was anything wrong with that. Most people still don't think there's anything wrong with it. Most parents today in most churches, most anywhere in a decent civil society see nothing wrong with that. And when the preacher preaches about it, oh, that's the way you say oh in Kentucky, oh, two syllables, oh, how could that be? It's just fun. I mean, it's nothing but entertainment. They don't realize that the characteristics of a person's life may change. Just certain things happen. Headaches, for example. Losing things. Accident prone. You think, that's just natural. I mean, that's just maybe not. Maybe you opened the door to the devil and gave him a right or gave him place to start messing with your life to make it miserable. Can't figure out why, why me? Why do I have to go through this? Maybe it's just plain old the devil and somewhere in your life he got in. God show us how and where. Because that leads us to deliverance, to identify the work of the devil, how he got in here. I can't deal with him unless I know that. I'll never deal with it. Palm readers, you know, people you see those little palm reading signs in people's yards where the grass is high and the fence is broken and, and there's always that kind of stuff. And people are seeking information about their life or about their future from somebody besides God. Now, when somebody told me that years ago, it made sense. Yeah, I mean, here's somebody, a human being that does not know the future. They don't know the future. They don't turn to God. They don't ask God to show them what to do, but they've set themselves up as prognosticators, fortune tellers, and people are enticed to go there and get their fortune told, or they read the astrology charts or the horoscopes to get direction. People want to know what to do, but they don't turn to God. So you're turning to some source that is not of the Lord for help and assistance. That shouldn't be hard to figure out. Then behind all of this false information is the devil because he controls people like that. And once he gets in, he begins to do his work. And most people, the work that the devil's doing in their life is just how he's messing people up, can't get along with anybody. They've been in church all their life. They fall asleep in church, can't stay awake. They slept all night last night, get, come to church, can't stay awake. You ever wonder why some people do that? It could have been some innocent little thing that they did in their past, and they'll never make that connection. The chances are they'll never get over it. But see, information is designed to call your attention to the fact that there's a devil out there is very subtle. And he goes about like a roaring lion looking for somebody. Well, we read that. This is information. This is light. God is showing us something that other people don't want to see. And see, and you get it jammed down your throat, they say. And you're getting brainwashed, they say, which is a good thing. Because the washing of the brain is a renewing of the mind. You're welcome. And so we're studying, searching. Lord, open my eyes that I not only may behold wondrous things from thy law, but open my eyes for me to see the nature or the characteristics of why I do the things I do, why I act the way I act. Why am I so easy to be enticed or... Why do I give up so easy? Why am I so sinful? Why do I just break down and cry all the time? Well, why do I do that? What is it, Lord? And you begin to seek, and God begins to show you. 
Remember the time? Remember the time? I remember one night praying for a girl. We were going to take her through deliverance, and that's maybe a strange subject for some people, but it really is real. And we were praying for her, and there was some reason something was wrong, and I remember at the time thinking, we're not hitting this nail right here. This girl's need is not being met by us. We don't know what's going on here. So it's praying for her while others were praying over her and telling the devil to come out and all that. And I remember thinking, just a little brief picture, a little image of a funeral, a casket, and her. And then I thought, somebody leaned her over when she was a little bit to touch her dead ancestor in that casket. And sure enough, I said that. I said, this was your problem. When you were young, you were at a funeral of somebody in your family that died and they wanted you to touch a departed loved one, and you didn't want to touch that thing, but they kind of made you do it, and a spirit of fear came in you, fear of death. And she just said, that's oh, I feared that my whole life. We prayed for her. She got set free. She would have never made that connection if it hadn't have been for the Lord at the time, the arrangement, the knowledge, at the little bit of knowledge that the Lord had given us and a revelation from the Lord about her problem. She would have still been in that problem today, fear of death. I mean, just... All kinds of crazy things that people do because of their phobias. All kinds of phobias in the world, fears. She would probably still be afraid of death, but she got free because of what the Lord did. Well, that's light. How many of you know that God gives light? And without light, we really can't see where we're going. We have to design a way we think we ought to go. And that's what the Bible condemns. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end of man's way is death. And when you speak of the way a lot of people are going, you're going the way of death. Oh, you're in a war. Because they can't see. They don't want to see. And you take people that are so established, the denomination system, for example, everybody has their own peculiar way. They'll never change that, and nothing you say is going to make them see that. And so there's, sometimes you can't help people. But knowledge is such a big deal. You see, knowledge reveals authority. We mentioned this last week. Jesus said in Luke 10, he said, I give you authority over serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. Now he's sending them out two by two to go preach the kingdom of God, cast out devils and this and bring people to the Lord. And he said, nothing shall have any power over you because Jesus said, I give you authority over the devil's power. Now, we have that. We may not think we do. We may not even believe that we do, but the Bible says we do. And you can go through this whole life as a Christian, weak and defeated, if you choose to because you live by choices. But that's not the way God chose for you to live. Now, if you don't want to see what he is offering you, you won't. You'll just be a religious person wondering why. But, or you can submit yourself to the Lord and the power of his might and let things change. Serpents and scorpions, are we going to the desert? No, serpents and scorpions is another name for the devil and his ways. He's like a serpent. Didn't Jesus say these signs shall follow those that believe? And one of those signs was they shall take up serpents? Well, he didn't mean you pick up a rattlesnake. That's natural. Mark 16 is talking about something supernatural. 
because natural men pick up natural snakes all the time. But the snake we're talking about is the serpent who was cast to the earth and rose on the belly of this earth called the devil. He's a serpent. And you have authority over him. Devil has no authority over you. You have authority over him. If you believe it, you legally do whether you believe it or not. Psalms 91 verse 13, he said, you should tread upon the serpent. You should tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet. Well, he's talking about your authority in this life over your enemy. You are to prevail over your enemy. Sin shall not have dominion over you. You shall have dominion over sin. Because while sin lieth at the door and its desire is for you, the Bible says you must rule it. So God didn't make us, design us, or save us to be meat for the devil and to be defeated. You've got a book that's in your lap this morning, a book that you carry with you to church, and hopefully you read it. It's full of information on what is available to you and what you can do or even how you should do it. It'll tell you, for example, that Jesus has already defeated the devil. Would you turn with me briefly? Because this works at Colossians 2 and Ephesians 4. Just for a moment. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. It tells us what Jesus did. This is what he did. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly. When did he do it? Not only did Jesus prevail in the presence of the devil while he walked on the earth, but when God raised him from the dead. Are y'all listening? When God raised Jesus from the dead, he spoiled the devil. The stronger man spoiled what is called the strong man. And he took from him his weapons wherein he trusted. What the devil by deception took from Adam, Jesus, by his resurrection, his holy life, took back. And he returned, when Jesus returned in the upper room, he said, all authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. And he said, now you take what I'm giving you and you go into all the world and you do the things I told you to do. Preach the kingdom of God, raise the dead, heal the sick, and bring people to the Lord, compel them to come in. Because that way is now made possible for lost people. And you're the ones that are going to bring them in. You go do that. Along with everything else, you do that. Now, we can do that. The devil has no right to stop us. That doesn't mean you can lead anybody you want to through the Lord any more than you can cast the devil out of anybody you want to or heal anybody you want to. But it means that you can. There are some times that you cannot do any of these things. There's sometimes you don't even cast your pearl, which is the word of God, before the swine. Even Jesus himself calls certain situations swiney, piggy. You don't cast your pearl in like that. I wouldn't before scoffers or personally before the news media who wanted to question me about something spiritual. I have nothing to say to those people. Because all they're going to do is take what you say and turn on you and rend you with it by twisting what you said. I've seen that happen. So I really have no comment. I have no reason to talk to any of those people. However, I do read that we have authority over the devil, that he does not have authority over me. He may tell us that. He may tell you that, but if once your eyes are open and you see what the Bible says, you realize that's, that's not true. That what you have as your authority is the name of Jesus. 
It's a name above every name. There is no other name under heaven whereby a man can be saved in the name of Jesus. It is, a, it is the name that God has chosen that we pray with. When you pray, he said, pray the name of Jesus. That's the name that gets the ear of God, as somebody used to say, and that's the way we do it. So we have power. In Ephesians 4, in the 18th verse, what a verse to think about. Let me get verse 17 because it leads to it. This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you henceforth not walk as other Gentiles walk in the vainness of their mind, which is what the world is all about. The vanity of the mind, the fun, the games, the foolish, lusty, whatever the thing is. It's the vanity of their mind. He said, don't walk like that. Listen, this is what we need to see, verse 18. This is their problem, having the understanding darkened being cut off from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, that's lewdness, immoral lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, you don't learn that from Christ, he said. You're living in a world which is full of dark people, I'm sure a lot of people, maybe some of you get tired of hearing reference to the church and church members being blind. But if you're bothered by me saying it, let me add to it. There's so many church members that are blind that a lot of folks in established churches really don't want to hear the word. Any more than Pharisees in the days of Jesus wanted to hear the word. Everybody in Israel didn't run to Jesus to hear him. It was not like he was the most popular thing going on. When it came time to crucify him, remember, they had to bribe one of his followers to point out which one of these guys is Jesus. But somebody wanted to hear him. And the ones that wound up listening and staying with him changed the course of the world. They went out throughout the whole world and preached the gospel. So we have authority. By virtue of being his people, by being born again, being saved, being brought to Christ, being identified with him, what he has, we have. He says, I give unto you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And there's several things that the Father sent Jesus to do. One of them was in 1 John 3, 7 and 8, he said, to destroy the works of the devil. That's what we're supposed to do to put him under our feet. Jesus did. Jesus spoiled him. Satan has no more right. And he says, now you do what I did. You do to the devil what I did to him. You triumph over him yourself. You master him in your life. You get rid of him in your life. Get all the traces and the strongholds out of your life that hold you down and keep you from doing right. Get rid of them. How am I going to do it? I'll show you how. I'll send the Holy Spirit to show you to empower you and make all of this possible so that when you go into the world, you're not only not afraid of the world, but you know you can do all things through Christ. You have faith. So we said last week knowledge was important to learn and to know what you believe and to believe that it works. And the second thing that we talked about was resistance. That's another way we deal with the devil. We resist him. James 4, 1 Peter 5, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. That means take a stand against him. Quit running. Quit being afraid of, well, oh, no, I don't want. Don't do that. 
You're in heavenly places with Christ, aren't you? Greater is he that is in you. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You represent God and his kingdom. March, go. There's hurting people, lost people who are waiting for you to come into their life. Go. And the third thing we mentioned last week, just mentioned, was faith. Faith is the hinge. Everything goes by faith. You've got to believe that he is. Even your salvation. He that cometh to God must what? Must believe that he is and must believe that God rewards those who diligently seek him. Not attend church, but diligently seek him. That'll keep your house from being empty. When you're seeking and you're replacing the old with the new. When the mind becomes renewed and the ways of God begin to get into your thoughts and your thinking. Things change. You begin to walk in newness of life. Everything changes when God changes your heart like that, but it takes faith. Would you turn to Acts 3 for just a moment? It takes faith. A story in the Bible I'm sure we're all familiar with in Acts chapter 3. This is right after the day of Pentecost. Things are going pretty well. Just led a lot of people to the Lord on the day of Pentecost. And in chapter 3, Peter and John, verse 1, went into the temple at the hour of prayer. And verse 2, a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. I don't know how many times Jesus went past this same guy. Doesn't tell us. He didn't stop and try to cast devils out or heal everybody he ran into. He didn't. But it says here, this particular time, a man was there, carried there to beg. And who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. What did he have? Authority. He had something from God, didn't he? He had done it before. Didn't they send him out two by two once before? He knew how the power worked. They had already done these things before. Now it's Pentecost. They weren't sent out two by two. They were just living in this world at the time. And he went in there to pray, and there was this guy begging. He's, Peter said, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. Take up your bed and walk. And he said, how shall I take up my bed and walk? I have never walked. And Peter said, well, just take it by faith. And he moved on. No, here's what he said. Such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Now, the people thought, wow, this is really something. And it was. Obviously, it was. And they wondered how this worked. Well, verse 16 tells us. They thought Peter and uh, John maybe had healed him, but here's what Peter and John said about the healing. He said, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong. Notice, the name of Jesus made this man strong, whom you know, yea, the faith which is by him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So the man believed, didn't he? 
faith in the name of Jesus that made him well. Listen, that wasn't apostolic power. That was faith. Now, if it worked then in the church age, it works now. It hasn't gone away and it hasn't passed away. Because if faith was for then, I'll guarantee you faith is still for today. And if faith would do that then, it'll still do that today. You have nothing out of the bounds of faith. In fact, Jesus said concerning faith, he said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, nothing should be impossible to you. Didn't he say that? Nothing. Matthew 17, verse 20, nothing. Nothing should be impossible to you. How many Christians really believe that? How many Christians, how many of you, how many Christians really believe that I am personally by design, by decree, by an act of God, by the choice God made when he chose me, he has also equipped me. He has given to me authority over our enemy, the devil. The same power that Jesus had over the devil, he has given to us. So I don't know about that. Well, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I send you. You've got whatever he had. And he said he watches over his word to perform it. Isn't that what Jesus did? Spoke the word? Can we not also speak the word? We're dealing with strongholds in people's lives. You got to talk. You got to use words. And then fourthly today, not only did we start with knowledge and resistance and faith, and you could speak for a week on all of those three, but today a little further along, we call it deliverance. We cast out the devil. Casting out demons, we call that deliverance, or in this little study, deliverance by command. Now, this is not going to be a study on how to cast out demons or all the details about deliverance. I'm trying to make a point how Christians are equipped to deal with the devil. Because sometimes, sometimes you have to deal specifically with the devil lodged in a person's life. And sometimes people that have demons within them, controlling them, it's very obvious. They're easy to spot. If you learn and you have some discernment, Bonnie and I were checking out Kroger's the other day and there was a young man sacking the groceries and he was just chattering, just talking. You know, I'm standing there by the grocery cart and I noticed him. He was just, and I thought, that's the devil. Because he wasn't talking to the lady putting the groceries in the bag. She wasn't paying any attention to him. He wasn't talking to the lady at the register beeping the groceries because she wasn't listening to him either. There was a spirit running this boy's life. He didn't kill him. He didn't. He wasn't sick. It wasn't blind. It wasn't any of those specific things. It could have been. But in this particular case, it was annoying. It was annoying. Just like one time Paul was preaching in Acts 16. And as they went down the road, some girl followed them. Remember this damsel followed them who had a spirit of divination? She was possessed by or demonized by, was under the operation and the control of a specific demon. She wasn't loony. She wasn't slobbering. She wasn't laying on the ground. 
She just had a specific, demons are very specialized, the devils are. I mean, there's blind spirits, there's lying spirits, there's seducing spirits, there's spirits that, that deceive, there's infirm spirits, there's all kinds of deaf and dumb spirits. There's all kinds of, of specialized works of the devil. And when the devil goes and takes seven spirits worse than himself, there's all kinds of things that can happen in a person's life. Most people can't make the connection. This is the devil's work. I can deal with this. But anyway, this damsel was following Paul, and she did it for several days. Because the first time she was following after them, she had a spirit of divination, fortune-telling. It's a longer story than this, but she brought gain to the people who ruled her because she could tell fortunes, and people believed that their fortunes were told. She was a soothsayer. It was a demon, to be sure. But people didn't know that. They paid to have their fortune told. They were happy about their predictions. She followed Paul and Silas for several days. I think it was Silas. And the first time it happened, Paul didn't say, hey, I rebuke you, come out here. He, several days. And finally, he got completely annoyed with her because she was saying these men are servants of the Most High God. What's wrong with that? That's good advertisement. But not from the devil. Not from the devil. There's people that I wouldn't want promoting me. There are systems of this world I wouldn't want to promote me. I don't want any identification with them because I'm not in league with them or in agreement with them. We're on two different sides of the world. We can say the same thing, but I don't want any part of it. So Paul turned and said to the spirit, I command you to come out of her. And the Bible said he came out of her that same hour. I do not believe there are amongst demons, there's necessarily gender. I don't think there's a boy demon and a girl demon. Any more than I think there's boy angels and girl angels. Now, I've never really talked to either one of them about their gender. I just believe that he is just a name the Bible gives for a nation, a person, a group, a family, a lot of things. But specifically it says that he... This devil came out of her. So you're going to deal with that in your life. If you get out there enough, you witness enough, you talk about the Lord enough, you're eventually going to run into somebody that's strange or bound or captive to some problem, and they have a demon in them. That doesn't mean you can always cast it out because sometimes people are under a curse. Remember Jesus said about the sicknesses in Egypt? He says, I will not lay upon you any of the diseases that I have laid upon them. Well, if God laid a disease or a problem on somebody or the devil was allowed to do that with his permission, you're not going to cast it out. That'd be you fighting against God. There's some things you can't deal with. But there are times you can. There are people that sometimes you realize they're bound. I mean, they're bound tighter than a tick. They need to be helped. They need you to help them. Maybe a Christian that doesn't know how to get rid of some of these strongholds. Can you help me? We would call that deliverance. They may be mentally ill. They may be impaired mentally in some way or emotionally, and they just can't do it by themselves. And you realize the devil really has a grip, and God has sent you to help this person pray a prayer of deliverance. Some people need help. Most of us don't. If you can read and you can understand, then you can resist the devil, and he'll flee and that's really what the whole purpose of this is, is getting him out. And he will flee. He will go. Some people aren't that strong. They probably have been bound longer and need a little help. 
And so, like in Matthew 17, a man was a lunatic. Well, it'd be tough to have a conversation with the lunatic about a demon. But the devil in a lunatic knows what you're talking about. I've heard spirits speak before in people, out of people. I've heard a man's voice out of a girl once. You say, oh, I don't know if I believe. Well, you, you get out there a little while and run around a little bit, and you'll see a lot of things you don't know about. But I have, in my personal life, I've seen some of these things happen, and, and things go awry like that. But sometimes people need help. They have trouble dealing with these things that you're talking about. But God sent you, just like he sends us in the world with a message of salvation. Sometimes some of the people that get saved need some help in getting rid of some stuff in their past that's controlled them. Jesus came to open the prison doors, to set the captives free, to loose the bound. He came for us, sending us into the world to get this messed up creation as free as God wants them to be, but he's going to use people not only to save people, he's going to use people to deliver people. And you're going to run into a lot of people. You may run into yourself and realize that you've got some problems in your life. Lust. Lust. And some of the stuff you do with lust. Things you do when you're alone. Stuff you want to watch. Stuff that stirs you up. I don't think God leads you that way. So therefore, what leads you that way? The devil. And, you know, guilt comes behind that. And you don't know how to get rid of guilt. Guilt leads to oppression. Oppression becomes depression. And then you get into a hole and it's hard to get you out. The devil goes about as a roaring lion to kill and to steal and to destroy. Because the devil wants to get into somebody. He wants to inhabit people. Many times in the Bible, you read about the devil spoke or people were oppressed or possessed by the devil. I remember in Mark chapter 1, verse 34, Jesus was praying for a lot of people. And he said he cast out many spirits. So Jesus cast out of human beings spiritual entities that were in those human beings. How'd they get in? They get in any way they can. Your children, I could say just take them somewhere to get their ears pierced. I've seen babies with little pierced ears. I think, what in the world does a baby care about a hole in its ear and a ring in it? When they pierced the ear in the Bible, it became a servant. You became a servant to somebody else. They ran all through your ear. And that symbolized that you became lifetime servant to whoever ran the all through your ear. You say, well, that wasn't piercing of the ears. Close enough. Close enough for me. You say, well, I don't believe that. Then, you know, then you're free. You know, I've heard stories of Raggedy Ann dolls, little dolls. Kids attach human likenesses to dolls. Sometimes parents do. And I've heard stories about how kids were oppressed, couldn't sleep at night, cried all the time, irascible, difficult. Come to find out through knowledge, the spirit came from a doll. See, oh, I don't know if I believe it or not. Well, let me try another one. You haven't believed those two. Let me get one more. Try Deuteronomy chapter 7. Turn to that one. Let's see if that'll work. Deuteronomy 7. Because sometimes you have to know things like this in order to help people deal with their problems. 
or to get rid of these spirits. Deuteronomy chapter 7, the last two verses, instruction from the Lord. He said, the graven images of their gods you shall burn with fire. How many of you believe a totem pole is an image of a god? A little Indian totem pole which you bought on your vacation or the, or the little fat Buddha uh, and, you know, that sits up there on the clock on the, on the mantle or wherever you'd set a Buddha door rest, I guess. There's all kinds of items that people wear around their necks, jewelry that symbolizes another god. And there's so many of them, I couldn't begin to name all of them. Listen to this. The graven images of their gods you shall burn with fire. You shall not desire the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it unto you, lest you be snared therein. Does it say that? Well, I paid a lot for that. I didn't know it was wrong. Why didn't somebody tell me this was wrong? I paid $300 for that. Burn it. It's 300 bucks, brother. Burn it. No devil's worth $300. Well, I'm just telling you what the Bible said. Not very many people would burn $300 piece of gold, but nor take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein. For it is an abomination to the Lord. Neither shalt thou bring an abomination into thine house. House. That's a dwelling place. That's a casa. Into your house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. You brought the thing in, so you're already attached to it. Now you're bringing it into your house and adding the house to it. That's why when you move into another place, a new house, you ought to take the house through deliverance. You don't know who lived there before you, what kind of activity was in that house, or what they did. The devil likes being in places. You believe in haunted houses? Is there such a thing? <laughs> That's funny. That's a movie name. Do you believe there's such a thing is true? Ask the police station down here. I think they got one of their haunted houses down there that... They won't even put office in it now because of all the crazy stuff. Well, listen, I'm trying to tell you, neither shalt thou bring an abomination into your house lest you be a cursed thing like it. But you shall utterly detest it and you shall utterly abhor it for it is a cursed thing. Let me ask you something. The zodiacs, the towel, the beach towel with the zodiac on it, that pretty dish you got for your present with a all the astrology stuff on there, is that demonic? It sure is. How about cute little Snow White? Oh, brother, yard sale last week. Well, I'm just telling you, you got to make that your own decision. I'm not asking anybody in this room to believe what I'm telling you. I'm telling you what I believe. You determine whether you think that's right or wrong. If you don't think it's right, then forget it. But I'm telling you through, well, I don't want to use 40 plus years of experience to promote anything because that doesn't make it right either. But there's a lot of experiences that I have seen and had, read a lot, known a lot, talked to a lot of people through the years and have reached a lot of conclusions as I stand here today about the devil, what he does, how he does it, and what I can do about it. And I have learned I can't do whatever I want to about whoever to whoever I want to. There's something God has to do here to make this possible. Remember in his own hometown, Jesus could there do no mighty work. Remember that? Did he have the power to do it? 
Did he have the authority to do it? Then why didn't he do it? Because the people didn't want it. It's just like today. You talk about the devil or deliverance today, and there's a lot of folks that don't know about all that. They don't want it. They don't want what you said to be true, or if it is true, man, I'm going to have to give up something. They don't want that. So they let go. They hold back. The Bible says Jesus could not do any great works, mighty works in his hometown except lay his hands on a few sick folk and heal them. And the next verse said he marveled at their unbelief because the thing that held him back was people's unbelief. It's like saying, I don't know about that. That's unbelief or uncertainty. And if it's uncertainty, it's not faith yet. It could be, but it's not yet. And so you come to some of these things about deliverance and you realize that the devil does inhabit people and that there are people who truly are oppressed and cannot get free unless they get some help. And that's where we come in to command spirits to leave people. And this is one of the things that the Bible teaches us in Mark 16 that we should do. These signs shall follow those who believe. And in my name, Jesus said, they shall cast out demons or devils, demonii. They shall cast out devils. Now, that's what we can do. This is part of the Great Commission. It's something you can do. And I don't know if any of you have ever done it. I don't know if you've ever thought about doing it or if it would scare the daylights out of you if you thought you were going to. It's like in the Bible on a Sabbath day, after the Sabbath day was over, like in six in the evening, Jesus was in the house and they brought to him all manner of physical complications. There was the sick, the lame, the halt, the infirm mentally, every kind of human disability you could think of was there. They brought them all to his door. How would you like to wake up 6.30 and have five or 600 people outside and there wasn't very many of them sane? Jesus healed them all. All the devils had to leave all these people because Jesus spoke a word to them. So when then can we do this? When is it possible? When, is, when are we able to command the devil to leave somebody? Maybe your children. Maybe somebody in your family. When can we do this? Well, I don't have a manual. I don't have a book. And I have read what a lot of people have written in the late 80s, 86 and following there was a deliverance revival, a resurgence in deliverance in the fellowship of people that I've been in. And a lot of strange new things were coming out about deliverance. I was thinking, where in the world are they getting this stuff, putting demons in a box and then commanding an angel to torment them by reading the word to them? And people thought, yeah, 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 let's, let's do that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know that you can do that. We're not talking about something complicated here. We're talking about something that is wrecking human lives and you with authority encountering that spirit and you telling that thing to go. Jesus never begged the devil to leave. Jesus never did explain why the devil ought to leave. In Mark 1, he was preaching and an unclean spirit, it said. Unclean spirit 
whether they were lewd or just dirty. I don't know, but it's unclean. Somebody jumped up and said, I know you who you are. You're Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to torment us before the time? Because see, the devil knows his days are limited. He knows the end of his life is the pit. He knows that. Like the scripture says, the devil knows that he has but a little time. So he does everything he can to wreck the human race. And Jesus said, come out of him and hold your peace. And he did. He threw the guy down, sore on the ground, because he had put on his show to try to make everybody scared. And he threw the guy down. And then he left. How do you know he left? Well, he left. Then they picked the guy up and he was sane again. How do you know when you can do that? You really don't just know by some bell ring, ding, okay, cast him out. You do it when it's necessary to do it. This is why discerning, being discerning is so important. Being familiar with the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I was with a brother in Iowa once. This goes back a long time ago, early. Still studying this, and this was real busy then in the very early 70s, 70, 71. We were at a church in Iowa on a lay witness mission. And the guy I was with, he liked to broadcast. And so he got into it with the youth pastor of this church. And I just detected that this guy was, something was wrong with him. And I told this guy, I said, leave him alone. He's got a demon. He said, how do you know that? I didn't read it somewhere. And he didn't give me a card said, I have a demon. But I said, there's, there's something I don't know the details about. There's something in me that does not prompt me to want to deal with him just to leave it alone. You cannot do anything about it. And I told him that. He said, oh, I'm afraid of him. I'll wade right in there. Bless God. I'll. All right. And we got home, coming home, and he was all beat up and tore up mentally. And he said, you know, I think you were right. I said, that guy, man, he was, he, oh. I said to the guy, I said, sometimes, you, look, you just leave it alone. God will show you things, show you spirits in people. It doesn't mean you can deal with it. It's like I felt at the grocery store. I just saw it. I'm aware of it. I know that. He was a harmless person, I'm sure. He needed deliverance. How it got into this fellow, I don't know. But I know that I wasn't the one on that day to deal with it. Maybe another day if he shows up, maybe. But there's got to be a prompting. Just, just like folks said, oh, if I had the power of God, I'd go down to the hospitals and get all the sick people out. As though God just heals anybody and everybody he wants to, whenever he wants to. Well, I just told you in Mark chapter 6, Jesus couldn't even in his hometown do a mighty work. And he was God in the flesh. How many crippled and lame and halt did he walk by and all the journeys he took up in Capernaum down to Jerusalem and that valley? How many sick, lame, and leprous people did he see? We read about the ones he dealt with, but how many thousands did he pass by? Well, why didn't he deal with all of them? I don't know. There was in John chapter 5 a man sitting by a pool. I've seen the, the supposedly place where this pool is where the waters were stirred. And he would try to get into the pool before somebody else did because if he'd get in the water, he'd be healed. And Jesus watched him. That man, not all the others, one man. 
He said, would you like to be healed? And the story goes. And he finally was. Why didn't he heal all of them? Why didn't Jesus just go heal the whole bunch of them? Didn't he care? That's what people's complaint usually is. Doesn't he love those other people? Well, I'll tell you what. You get to heaven, you make it to heaven, you ask him. And I'm sure he'll explain it to you. I don't know. I don't know. Why did I get saved? Why did God send me here with you? Why did he send us here? Why are we here? Why is what we're talking about true? I mean, there's all kinds of questions we cannot answer. Just God in his design for human beings and his people, he does as he pleases in the kingdom of men. That's Daniel 4. God's in control. And sometimes God will put you in front of somebody that you can help that you're not afraid to talk to or you're not afraid of the consequences. And you start talking to them and God makes words roll out of your mouth and somebody either gets saved, somebody gets set free or the devil leaves somebody. He used you. That doesn't mean you can just go up to anybody and start doing that again. Or it doesn't mean because Peter got out of the boat and walked to Jesus that you could get out of the boat and walk to Jesus because of unbelief. If you believe what Peter believed, you could. There's just a lot of things in this life you have to be discerning about. You have to let God urge you on, convict you, equip you, and compel you to do things. Only God can do this. Jesus said in John 5, he said, I can of my own self do nothing. Why would he say that? John 5, he said it twice. He said it in John 8. I can only do what the Father shows me to do. I only do what the Father said. I of myself, in a human body, limited in a fleshly environment like you are, I can do nothing of myself. Do you think we have the same limitations? You know, the gifts and the callings are without repentance. God doesn't take them back. When somebody's equipped wants to preach, he's got that. That doesn't mean he can just preach anywhere he wants to if he wants to. But it means that when he does and he is given by God a moment, he usually has an anointing. And people benefit from it. When he's not anointed, he just has church and he says his sermon, did his job, gets paid and goes home. Doesn't mean anything. It's just a thing you do. It's a religious setting. It's an environment where you preach. People hear, you go home. They pay me to do this. This is what I do. It's my job. That doesn't mean you're ever anointed. But God could save somebody in that church by anointing him. He could. God anointed a donkey one time to talk. He did. I think maybe he still does. <laughs> you're welcome. I don't mind. That's okay. I don't mind. That's all right. But Jesus didn't go about looking for demons to cast out. He didn't say, I need to cast me out some demons today. He didn't do that. In one story, it's, it, it would take a while to read it, and I'd get too many comments on it. But in Mark chapter 5, Jesus went to the place called Gadara, where there was a Gadarene demoniac. Remember that? And he was wild and fierce. 
and lived amongst the tombs and no man could tame him. And they tried to bind him. He just break the chains because you're dealing with supernatural strength, even with the devil. I remember praying for a girl one time at our house out in Henryville, Indiana, years ago. Her sister wanted us to pray for her sister, and so she brought her sister out. It took three or four of us men to hold one regular, normal-sized girl down. Now, I know she wasn't that strong. I know she wasn't, but we had to hold her down because she was ready to go to war with our faces. We never did get her free. I called the only man I knew that I thought could answer my questions. He said, you can come up and we'll talk about it in the morning. I drove up, see him, and we sit down. I told him what happened. He said, well, she didn't want to be free. She didn't want to give up what she had. She got all your attention, didn't she? I thought, man, she did, didn't she? She really did. I made a donkey out of then. So it's a useful bit of information, a little failure there, but you learn something. You learn that some people are just putting on a show. A lady called me once and said, I want you to cast a demon out of me. We've been talking for a half hour. I said, well, all right, we'll try. Why not? So I said, I, in the name of Jesus, said, I ain't coming out. I ain't coming out. I ain't coming out. And I thought, no, nah, she'd been through this before. And I just detected this sense of uh, my discerner. My little flags went up and said, Brother Tom, you're wasting your time. She likes this attention. So I gave it up. I said, you know what? Not right now. This said not time to do this. I don't think I can help you. But this gathering demoniac, when he saw Jesus, he ran to him. Why would the devil run to Jesus? Because even though he was bound and fierce and wild and untamed, he still had a human mind in his head. And there was still this desire and this urge to get free. It's like a man in a cage. Somebody's running his body and making a fool of his life, but he's in there wanting out. He wants to be set free, but nobody was willing. But Jesus came. Jesus wasn't looking for him. Wherever Jesus went, devils were. And they said, have you come to torment us before the time? Don't send us to that place. Send us into the pigs. Remember that? So he said, all right. You go to the hogs then. So they went into pigs. And the pigs immediately killed themselves. They ran over in the end of the ocean and all of that. Probably scared the daylights out of people on that island. Because somebody lost his herd. Which in Israel was not a bad loss. And so, there he was. That man would got free, got delivered. Sitting there in his right mind, clothed, normal. And when the people of the island saw him, they thought, Oh, man, we don't know what this is, but we don't want this here. That same thing is true today. We see what it does and how people have been blessed, but, boy, all the stuff that went behind this that happened to bring this about, not here. It'd ruin our church if something like that happened. So there are just times that you deal with it. I remember one time meeting in a southern Illinois. I was at a church, and while I'm speaking, a man jumped up, there's a whole lot smaller than this, about in the middle of this section in the middle. A man jumped up, headed up the aisle towards the pulpit, hollering at me. I do so love God. I love God. Don't you tell me. And I thought, when did I say that? So he got about right to there, and I thought, I don't know what's going to happen here. <laughs> I don't. I thought, he's not that big, and I'm not that old. So I don't know what we're going to do. 
But, oh, man, why didn't somebody jump up and stop this guy? Well, he stood right there, and I said, sir, you are out of order. He said, I am not. I said, now, you need to go back to your seat. And so finally the preacher got up, and they took him outside. And we were just about done with the sermon. He came back in, had his knife out. He's ready to go to war, start cutting on people. That was the devil. Now, at that particular case, could we have cast something out? Well, I don't know. Everything was happening pretty fast. I didn't sense it. But I don't know. I don't know the guy. There are people in this world who are under a curse. They are. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. Well, you're not going to cast their daddy out of them. There are people that are bound who I don't know they'll ever get free. But all you know is that you have the power. You have the power to do it. You have the responsibility to do it. And you have a dependence on God to use you to do that. And you pray for discernment. We do. We pray, God, make me to know. Just make me to know who, where, and when should I back off, keep my mouth shut, stay out of it, or dive in. When, when should I do it? One night on a witnessing program at home in Charlestown, when we used to go out two by two, especially after we got saved, there was more people. One night the guys were out witnessing two guys were that knew this. We didn't know a lot of it, but we knew enough about it. Talking to a man about his soul, I wasn't there, they were. Talking to this man about his soul and his life, his need to be saved. And he heard somebody back in the back, and they said, there's somebody here? And he said, yeah, my son's back there talking to his mom. And okay, so he finally came out and said, is your mom here? He said, no, she died a couple of weeks ago. They looked at each other and said, uh-oh. Of course, these guys said, oh, we got one, we got one. <laughs> so they wound up bringing him to church to cast the devil out of him. I remember when I got back with my other guy, we went out and we came in, and they were leading this guy in, and he was... He looked look bad, <gasps> like that there. They said, come downstairs. We're going to cast the devil out of this guy. We're going to cast it. I said, all right, all right, all right. So they went down there, and one of them got on one side and one on the other side, and they were talking to him, and, and uh, I just watched. I know I have learned one thing in my life. Don't just jump in and start telling what you know or doing what you think you can do. Try to get the mind of God first. Nothing wrong with being still. So I stood back and I watched these guys. They were hollering and yelling and he was hollering and yelling back. And uh, they would say this and you're out, you come out of him. They say, oh, shut up. And he used a bad word every now and then. I thought, man, this is some kind of a spirit. But he listened. He, something, he said something one time was kind of soft. Something like that. And I thought, uh-oh. So I, he kept looking over at me. So I walked over there to him. And I said, you're a homosexual spirit. You come out of him. This is how the devil is smarter than us. He dropped his head and his voice turned to normal. He said, how did you know? Of course, these other guys said, okay, well, you got it. We're going home. <laughs> so I'm sitting there for another hour and a half talking to this guy, and he cranks it up then. I mean, he cranks. Next thing you know, he, he is Jesus Christ. And I am wore out. Two hours later, instead of dealing with the devil, he just sidetracked because he's a deceiver. This guy never did get free, as far as I know. 
once preaching over in Iowa and on the edge of Iowa at a town and uh, went with the preacher one night after church. He said, we got somebody that needs prayer. We're going to go over to this house and pray. Won't you go with me? I said, all right. We went over to this house and prayed, and there was a lady there. I forget her name. But uh, this was a strange, strange moment. So he was going to pray for her, but he knew something about casting out devils. So while he was praying over her with oil, he thought he'd tell the devil to leave her. Well, all of a sudden, a male voice, I mean a deep masculine bass voice came out of this woman. I'm going, whoa. So I'm sitting on the other side of the room, and he starts talking to her, and he said, I know who you are. And she, start, she used some really bad words. I mean, she called this preacher, and I'm thinking, man, I hate somebody talk to me like that. But it was the devil. She called him some bad stuff. And she, too, would look over at me every now and then. She'd look over where I was sitting. I was just sitting in a chair about like this. And then she would, he'd say something else. He finally said, brother, he said, can you help me? I mean, I need some. He said, can you help me? And I said, no. You can't? I said, no. I'm going out in the car. I'll meet you out there when you're done. He said, why? I said, she doesn't want to be free. She doesn't want to be free. I've been here once. And he said, don't you want to be free, so-and-so? Don't you want the devil? And, and, and she said in a feminine voice, no. And I said, I'll see you out in the car. I went out of the car. Three, four minutes later, five minutes later, he came out there and he said, how'd you know that? I said, I didn't know that. Yeah, I just saw that later on while she was talking. She didn't want to get free. This accumulation of things in the past you learn and you think she didn't want to be free. She didn't have to be free, but she liked the attention and she liked calling that preacher names, but it was bad. So we didn't get quite finished. I'll need to finish this next time if you'll just bear with me in another week about the enemy within, our authority over him and what we can do. And just remember when you leave this morning, number one, you have authority over the devil. Your authority is in the name of Jesus. That's enough. Doesn't the Bible still teach us that we're not to be ignorant of his device? I mean, isn't that still in the Bible? Then it's necessary for us to learn some of these things. Listen to what you hear. Don't believe it because you heard the preacher say it or don't take it for gospel because, well, that's what Brother Tom did. That was my experience. That's what I believe. Now, you have a relationship with God. It's to God you answer. You search the scriptures for yourself. For God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. You're more than a conqueror, folks, through Christ. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to have our eyes continually opened to see what our authority is from when it comes and how to walk with you and be sensitive to your bidding and your prompting and to know when to do what we do, whether it's witness to somebody or pray for somebody. Grant us the power of that one word, liberty, that comes from wisdom. Grant us wisdom. Make us to be the kind of place, Lord, the church, that you can send people here and they can be set free. 
Set us all free first, Lord. Bless your word to the hearts of your people, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.